I was in my mid-twenties. I was part of Flood Church, which is actually our sending church. And uh, they're great. Love them. They're down in San Diego. And I was at a, uh, a beach over-the-line tournament with my men's group at the time. It wasn't mine. I wasn't even the leader of the group. I just was a participant. And we were playing against the lead pastor's men's group at that time, which was, and is, Matt Hammett. And we were with this group. It was a great time. And in that time, we cooked meat, and we talked about a lot of different things like leadership and uh, relationships. A lot of young boys have questions about that. Um, and we also talked about money. We talked about money because our church, I believe, was in kind of like a first in ten idea of like, what does it look like to tithe to the church and what that means? And I remember being with my buddies, and they were like, dude, ask the question. Ask the question. I'm not going to ask the question. Like, dude, just ask the question because I am a louder individual. And uh, they're like, ask the question. I was like, okay, 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 I'll ask the question. And I was like, Matt, I, fellas, what's the deal with this 10%? I mean, I'm in, I'm in salary, an entry-level salary. Um, I'm not a salary. I'm an engineer with an entry-level salary that's like pretty more than I'm used to. I'm pretty stoked, you know? And like you're saying to give 10%, right? So let's just say an entry-level for an engineer at that time was $70,000. You're asking me to give $7,000? And like if that were to increase over the years, like if I made $200,000, you're asking me to make, give 20000 of that? Or like God's asking me to give 20000 And I'll, I'll never forget Matt's response. He's like, you know what, dude? And he paused like that. And I'm sure you said this response quite a few times in his tenure. He says, you're right. It, it is a lot of money. And you know what I'll do? I'll ask God to lower your income to a level. <laughs> that you feel comfortable giving him out. And all my fellows are like, dude, don't ask that question again. <laughs> don't ask the question again. And it was like one of those, you peel back the layers, it's a moment where you recognize that God's our gracious provider, that he is our sustainer. And, uh, you know, in real talk, I've done a lot of generosity messages over the years. And um, prior to being at Water's Edge, which has been around for a couple years, they always felt like, more of a crowd talk where I'm speaking to a larger crowd and I'm talking about some of the rudimentary principles of provision. But I think just given the dynamic and maybe my own growth, let's just introduce some real talk. Some real talk. I mean, this is a very um, interactive time. So I just feel like even as I shared that story, what's percolating in our minds? Well, first and foremost for me as I shared that, it was like this idea of the tithe. And is the tithe even prevalent today? I mean, has anybody even heard of the tithe? You've heard tithe, you also hear of giving and generosity. Like, what is the tithe and does it matter even for today? Which I think is a very important question before we jump into the greater conversation of generosity. Tithe is, by modern definition, it's giving one-tenth of your earnings to the local church. That's like one definition of it. It's, it has its roots. The command itself has its roots in the Old Testament in Leviticus uh, chapter 27 verse 30. There are times where it shows up before that, specifically with Abraham, all speculative. But uh, it says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And that word tithe actually is the Hebrew word for 10, Masar, that's where they get that word. And uh, the concept reappears in the Old Testament, and a lot of churches, they love to quote the very last 
uh, well, it's not the last one, but the, it's the last book that shows up in the Old Testament, and Malachi, Malachi 3.10. This is one that I've heard preached. I think I've, ha- I've had to preach it years ago. Bring the whole tithe, there's that word Masar again, to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, when we look at the Old Testament people, the Israelites, it's worth noting, uh, Craig Blombard, he's a really trusted scholar, that um, most Israelites didn't donate 10%. They actually probably donated around 23%. Like, that was their cultural context, because there wasn't just the tithe, there was also poor tithes, and there were feast tithes that were there. And as our passage suggests today that Casey read so beautifully, it's critically important to set aside money for the poor for the poor, marginalized. And the New Testament, the word tie doesn't show up that month. It shows up probably about four times. And three is from Jesus' mouth, but where he's having a conversation with the priests at the time. And, and there's another time in Hebrews, arguable whether it's noteworthy that the tithe is still prevalent or not. And without um, really getting too much in the weeds, there's not like crystal clear instructions for the church-age Christians to tithe or not. Um, in recent scholarship, there's been a lot of discussion whether tithe is a cultural principle, whether it's a general principle, or some combination of both. That's a lot of research I've, I've been listening to. And this has led a lot of leaders in the church to either abandon the, the concept or to double down on it, or the majority is some combination of, yeah, like it's, it's a great principle, it's in scripture. Uh, the majority of like, evangelistic, contemplative, charismatic churches believe that, yeah, 10% is a great number, but it doesn't have to be given just to the church. That's, there's a lot of thoughts about this. Feel good? This is like real talk, right? Yeah, yeah. So what do you believe? Real talk, Andy. What do you believe? Well, I believe there's a tension, one, in having this conversation. I don't feel that tense, but like for guests, I just want them to know if they haven't committed to Jesus or committed to this church, like, we ask you not to give. We don't police it, because if you want to give, that's great. It's between you and God. But we don't want anybody to feel like the grace of Jesus Christ, the truth that he brings, and the love ultimately that the Lord has for us is for sale, that he gives it freely at the Lord's own cost. Um, so yeah, if you're a guest, we actually ask not to give, though you can if you want. We're not going to police it. We also believe that committed givers, uh, as part of this family, w- would give. But as we don't police guests, we, we don't police our committed givers either. I don't like knowing the numbers. I do find out because I give thank yous, like I have ideas, you know, like that comes up. And then we even had this principle where if there was a certain threshold that went beyond it. And Stephanie, she actually knows all the numbers. I was like, I don't want to do that, do that principle anymore. Just let me know who gives so I can thank them, you know, for the first time and at that year end. Um, that's my hope. It can, you know, like I'm in this, sometimes things come up and we need to talk, but that's, that's how we try to do it, as uh, imperfectly as we can. Um, it's helpful to name that part of my role here, one of the hats I wear, is fundraiser. Also helpful to name that I benefit from the fundraising, that our family receives a salary. We are able to pay Deb a part-time wage. Uh, Alicia is a coordinator here and she gets a couple hours. It's not a lot, but it's something that... Monies that come in go to rent here. It goes to insurance, which is nuts. There's taxes. There's uh, 
That TV, we had to buy a TV for the space. This was donated, which is pretty cool, but it's a little bulky, but it's great. Those speakers given, that was kind of dope, but we, in, we, we invest in different things, and we invest in ministries and gas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I do benefit from it, so it's like worth it or not. Um, we, we try, we do give. Uh, we want to be generous outside of our church too. I was running the numbers. We gave last year upwards of 20000 to different church planning efforts, uh, to orphanages. We also want to give that money not only outside, but give benevolence inside for people in need within our church. There's different reasons. I'm obviously not going to lay out that list. Um, but with the call, the fundraise, the hat that I wear, I don't want to relegate a message like this strictly to fundraising for the church. I get that. Though that is one, one way to give and a great way to give. I mean, when Jesus talked about giving, he wasn't like trying to hire another staff member or build a kid's place in the temple. However, when Paul was talking about giving, he actually was trying to support the local church. So it's not something you abandon altogether. And I would say if you're a committed giver, and thank you, and I would say if you're part of this crew and you don't give, consider giving. It's helpful. Uh, but what do you believe, Andy? I still don't hear the answer. That's good. I'm glad I wrote that. <laughs> I think, like, my personal conviction, um, looking at the Leviticus codes and, like, just the models I've been given, if you're a shepherd here, like a lead shepherd, that it, they should tithe to the church. Like, that is my personal conviction, that um, they should tithe to the church and um, should also support the poor beyond that, beyond that. Like, it's the minimum, 10% minimum. That's my personal, uh, personal conviction, it's a helpful principle from the model I've received, and it's proven to be faithful. That's how I've seen it. That is, I don't say that a lot. I don't think anybody's ever heard me say that much. Um, I think for anyone and everyone, I highlighted this, who walks faithfully with Jesus, 10% is really a indefinite article and the definite article. Great starting point. It's a great starting point. Great beginning. The first fruits principle is a way to give joyfully right away that, that miraculously helps alleviate the temptation towards materialism. It does. As much as, much as one tries to, the Bible doesn't like give us percentages and graphs of giving. Although you can make a pretty good case for 10% being a good minimum standard uh, biblically, you really can make a solid case for it. You can. It's hard to argue. Um, and I would encourage anyone's part here to give, but to give for your benefit, as Paul talks about in Philippians and Corinthians, for your joy, for your ownership. And just as importantly, if not more, to give beyond Water's Edge as well. To give beyond. Meaning whatever we give, how much we give, there is biblical slash gospel precedent to give to the poor. And that, like, that, that, that is huge. I mean, scripture includes 2,000 verses on wealth and money. Randy Alcorn, he writes this book, um, it's right here, this quote, on money, possession, eternity, that when you look at all the talk with money, that 40% of Jesus' parables are likely devoted somehow to stewarding money and 25% of his teaching. Some people like do crazy statistics like it was 70. I was like, no, it's not. 
It's probably 25% of his teaching was dedicated to this idea of stewarding money, that our faith and our finances are truly inseparable. Truly inseparable. 25% of his teaching, that's still a lot. I mean, could you imagine if every, every month I preached once on money? There might be an exodus. <laughs> or revival. Who knows? Who knows? It could be a revival. Could be. I mean, it's the only idol that's given a name by Jesus. It's probably a reason why I don't preach on it as much. Don't upset the apple cart. Probably a reason why we don't talk about it much with one another. But Jesus talks about it. We should talk about it. We can talk about it. Why do you think Jesus talks so much about money? At least comparatively. The heart. You read my notes. You did. He's going after our heart. He's going after our heart. Because though we don't talk about it, it's what our hearts are fixated on. We dedicate a lot of time to thinking about money. We just do. I do. And this leads us to the main idea today uh, that I believe comes from a faithful, reflective reading. When we talk about all these numbers and percentages, uh, the main idea, really, the question is not how much do I need to give. The question is not how much do I need to give. Rather, it's how much do I need to keep. In God's upside-down kingdom where beauty comes from shared brokenness and there's strength and weakness, that there's freedom and surrendering to love, there is a true gift reception when we give. I ask that question. It's not how much do we need to give. Rather, it's how much do I need to keep so that we can give freely. When you figure out how much you really need and then what you don't need, giving can be totally free. Oh, I don't know about totally. Let me redact that. It will be a lot more freedom, a lot more freeing. It's not how much do I need to give, but how much do I really need to keep? We are starting a new series today, Journey. Tagline is sharing stories on the long way home. We're going to be spending Lent. It is Lent. This next six plus weeks in Lent, which is the build up to Easter. In Luke's parables, when Jesus is journeying for his final trip from Galilee, his hometown ministry, down to Jerusalem, where he will carry the cross. And Luke, unlike any other gospel writer, devotes 10 chapters to some teachings. We're just going to be spending time in those teachings because it's some very rich teaching. In fact, we have some fun people who will be sharing. I'm, very, I'm really looking forward to it. And the whole, the whole idea is that if you think about them walking this 100-mile journey, sharing stories, sharing parables, sharing with one another, there's something about the way in which when we share what we've heard from God, just like Casey did in the beginning about like uh, th- that mother of seven, just like, hey, I heard this from God. I'm just going to provide it away. I told my, my tribe. It, it spurs on our faith. And that's what I like. And hopefully we'll be able to hear from uh, somebody else today. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It spurs on our faith. So again, the question is not how much do I need to give. Rather, it's how much do I need to keep. And if you know me, I love giving follow-up questions. The follow-up question to that is how do we move from obligatory giving to a freely surrendered generosity? How do we move from obligatory giving to a freely surrendered generosity? I don't think today has all the answers, but it has some pretty good ones. 
And that's where we're going to enter into the parable that Jesus told, which actually has this um, preceding historical narrative. Uh, They are walking from, uh, again, Galilee down to Jerusalem. And at some point in the journey, on their journey, someone in the crowd says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Kind of reminds you a little bit of what we just read in terms of the prodigal, but different narrative. Uh, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There were uh, laws provided specifically in the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. I think it's Numbers and and, uh, Deuteronomy, Numbers 27, Deuteronomy 21, where where rabbis, teachers, would be mediators or arbiters in family disputes, particularly over money. And Jesus is a rabbi. He receives that term freely, but he refuses to be the judge. So it says this. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I'm guessing that Jesus may have entered in if the guy didn't tell Jesus what to do. There wasn't a true case here. The guy's just saying like, hey, tell my brother to give me my money. The guy had already made up his mind that he was going to dictate what the sentence was. And Jesus didn't enter in. Uh, Instead, he saw this man's um, desire for possessions over his relationship, which we all can fall into, possessions over people. And he he speaks to uh, the heart, to everybody in the crowd. Then he said to them, watch out. Uh, Can you go back one? Watch out. Thank you, Drew. Love you, dude. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, not how much do we give, but rather how much do we really need to keep. That's where I got that main idea. And then he tells this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain and I'll save myself. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This is commonly known as the parable of the rich fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be forever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. So how do we again move from obligatory giving to a freely surrendered generosity? In the first two verses of the parable, we see this rich man say, what shall I do? He receives this money, these incomes, and he asks, what shall I do? And that's a question that we ask ourselves a lot. We don't say it out loud. So the first thing we need to do is we actually need to identify our guttural instinct when deciding how to steward our monies. What is our guttural instinct? What is our first impulse that is natural to us when it comes to stewarding our wages, our salaries, our side hustles, our rental properties, our, our sales, et cetera, et cetera? What are those incomes? And then we think about what are the costs of life? And this, I want to key in what are the costs of life and what are really just niceties? And ultimately, what do we do with the profits? That's what stewardship is. Uh, stewardship is defined as the allocation of limited resources according to our values and beliefs and then subsequent ethics. So it's like allocation of limited. There's only limited resources we have. So how do we 
steward them? What is our guttural instinct when it comes to our monies? And I think a lot of us can look at this man and distance ourselves from this person. Like, that's not us. That's not us, but we're closer to this man than we are the majority of those who follow Jesus in that very oppressed minority um, time, that time of among minorities within a, uh, a Roman culture. Many of them were taxed into slavery. Uh, not everybody was completely poor. Most lived at subsistence level, meaning their um, income met their expenses, which was the, the bare minimum to have the necessities of life, but some did exceed that. Many believe that Peter and James and John actually were more wealthier than you think. Um, but long story less long, uh, a lot of us live above subsistence level, myself included. Uh, our wages uh, provide more than the bare necessities. More. Um, and there's a lot of speculation about what is subsistence levels, geographically where you live, a place, and I'm taking this from one. I've heard so many different things, but trying to think through San Diego County for a family of four, the numbers range somewhere between subsistence level would be 35,000 to 60, 70, 80,000 ish. There's, the window's big for a family of four. That, that spending power allows you to have preventative health, improved housing, insurance, lifestyle, stability. Below that, you start to fall into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, oh, I need, my physiological needs aren't being cared for. My spending power is below the poverty line. Food, shelter, and clothing, health emergencies can be an issue. Above that is uh, what many call self-actualization, belonging and esteem. You have freedom to do a lot. You have spending power to travel, entertainment, education, hobbies, relationships, etc. I think most of us, that's for a family for a are closer to the rich dude who becomes a fool. This need any of that. So we need to identify our guttural instinct with that regard. And there, in my opinion, there's probably more. There's three guttural instincts uh, that you can have. One is spending in the present. Uh, typically, this is kind of a spending that has no accountability. Uh, very little thought of a budget. Um, maybe you invest in some retirement cards, accounts, but when the money comes in it's, and it goes out, it kind of things stay like this, you know, they kind of match each other. Um, and that, you, someone could say that's a bit of this guy, because he talks about eating and drinking and being married, and being merry, um, but he's probably more, more of a B. He's a save for the future type of guy. Um, the, the barns that he's talking about, these are like his barn account, his back account, and they actually did find stone-lined pits in ancient archaeology, and they'd actually find seeds there that would last indefinitely, where they were able to make ancient bread. That's a ner I'm nerding out right now, but if you like culinary stuff, it's kind of cool. And instead of selling the seeds that he has, that God provided, right? God's the one who's ultimately made the rainfall, who, who made the land before him. Instead of selling it at a cheaper price or giving it to the poor, he decides to save it, to save it up. And if present spenders have little to no budgeting accounting, um, future savers are very invested in saving. Very, very invested in investing. It's budgeting to a T, checking your accounts almost daily, if not weekly. Uh, flexibility wouldn't be a strong suit for future savers. They're definitely, in my opinion, more disciplined. 
Uh, some could say they're better stewarders, but there's an idolatry there as well when it comes to saving. I think the big thing when you look at future savers is there's no planned generosity for them. Not only for the present, but for the future. It's not something they're thinking about. And then the, the last one is, I kind of like this term, is the serve and splurgers. These are those who serve and splurge on God's kingdom. And how do we do this? I don't know exactly how. Because it is, it, it's really Christian spiritual discernment. I guess you could say it's asking God, what would you want me to do with these monies when you get it? Maybe the more dangerous question is, who needs this before us? I haven't arrived here yet. Uh, this man is namely a rich fool because he excludes God even from the conversation. That's what's abundantly clear from this. So as we think about generosity, generosity is not just um, financial giving. Generosity is not just financial giving. It's, it's more than financial giving. However, it's not less than financial giving. It just isn't. Like, that is the first place you go. And this is, I'm going off notes, but um, I had a friend of mine, and I love this person. He, he tried to convince me that giving was a spiritual gift that some have and others don't, which has, like, a, a real negative effect in two directions, the one person who believes they have the spiritual gift of giving uh, doesn't need to sweep the floors. I'm doing my spiritual gift right here. Uh, the other negative effect is if other people believe that, they don't feel like they need to give. I mean, I've been in conversations this year where I've talked to people about giving. They're like, I really want your church to be invested. If I give, I'm worried about upholding this church. I want your people to be invested in giving. And I'm like, ah, it's a good point. I've had three of those conversations. Two, I know two, two of them. So it's like, yeah, that's, that's a printing. God, God wants our hearts and so much of our hearts are in this. The truth is it's not like 10% ours and, or 90% ours and 10% God. It's all God's. It's all, our hard-earned money is really God-given money. It's hard to argue with that. It just is. You, you've been put in this place in time with your surrounding family, with your abilities that were all given from God. We can partner with God, but it's hard-earned money is still God-given money. And it, when we recognize that, our gratitude will unleash generosity. It's like, Lord, that's right, this is you, not me. This is us, if anything, and you allow me in this? Let me partner with you in giving this. So I think a next step for this conversation is to consider your range of giving. Like, give yourself a range, not just a bare minimum, but, like, give yourself a base and then exceed that and then let God do some nutty stuff. And, and don't worry about it. Uh, Ryan and I were talking about this tonight. Laura's husband He's like, it's all on God. God, God. The onus is on God. Ours is just falling through. God will steward however that money goes. And, um, yeah, we just get to partner with God. And I get it. It's a weird time financially. I've struggled with this conversations, um, like many of us, increased prices, gas, it's like we're like stoked when it gets down below five, like, yes! Uh, taxes are nuts, it's like, what? Um, and um, like many of us, um, Courtney and I, we, um, we had, like invest in things outside of the church, like a few things, and like I know like Rick and Deb do plant for purpose. We think child sponsorship's a big deal, like many of you. I'm not bragging. I'm trying not to let my right hand know what my left hand's doing. I'm trying to enter you into a conversation of a moment of weakness for me. I was one day trying to do all the finances, and we were like, 
trying to reduce expenses. So I sent an email to that company. I was like, hey, look, we, we can't afford X paying this every month, but we can do Y. We can do Y. Is there a way that we could just, instead of doing X, just do Y? And uh, do you know what they replied? Nothing. There was no reply. <laughs> no reply at all. At all. And I felt, even when I hit send, I was like, ugh. I was like, ugh, I don't know about that. And the beauty is there was, there was no reply from them at all. Which, I mean, may, may be helpful to know that a lot of money doesn't go to that overhead. <laughs> uh, and you know what I wrote as a follow-up? You know what I wrote. Nothing. I just sense God saying, hey, just keep, doing, keep the X and I'll take care of the Y. Keep the X. That's, you don't reduce its cost that way. Don't reduce your giving. Figure out other ways, you know? It's like, okay, you're right, God. In fact, that leads us to our second point here. And this, is, this one's what's interesting to me. I mean, it's all interesting. But uh, yeah, after we identify our guttural instinct, just to be honest with that, and, um, you know, it's okay to name your temptations, you know? It it's becomes sin when you follow through on it. Just be like, honest, like, yeah, I, I like to spend, or, you know, like, I think a lot about retirement, whatever it is. The second point would be to simplify life, to simplify life, to get in that latter category, to serve and splurge, to simplify your life. The man says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat and drink, marry, drink and be merry. I keep messing that up. Merry means happy. Merry Christmas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Simplify life in order to serve the kingdom. There's two burdens that this man puts on himself right away. Two burdens. There may be more, but can you guess what those burdens are? There's two burdens that he puts on himself with this decision. Yeah, the barns. He, he gives himself a construction project. Let me think about it. It's difficult to see at first, but this man adds a burden. He invests in tearing down and then building construct on his property, thereby taking up more property, which is used actually to produce an income stream. Sometimes our investments that we look to to give us peace and security actually provide a lot of burden in our lives. Those things that need to be maintained, they're just like, ugh. That's a burden he gives himself, his barn accounts. Can anybody see the other burden? I'll do some charades. The partying. The partying. That is a burden. The parties, the vacations, the travel, the nights out, the next automobile, the what have you. The chronic investment in our kids in order to make them happy. All of them which is promised to bring fulfillment. That's just adding another thing. Sometimes the things that are meant to refresh us actually make us more tired. They do. If we need a vacation from our vacation, then we may not have needed the vacation. That's a hard reality. When we're complaining about these amazing things that we've invested in that are meant to give us life, we may not need those things. It may be time to, to spend left on ourselves and, and entering into simplicity. Simplicity means having less so that others 
And miraculously, we can have more. That's what simplicity is. More what? More, more time with others? More resources for others? Our stuff are, are, are the greatest killers of time and energy. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm in it with y'all. Um, to have something means having time and money to purchase, maintain it, to go somewhere is time required. What if we traded that in for like time with God or with others or for others? As we all know, like we live in a society that's based to, to like tickle your insatiation and say that this will make you satiated. Like it's this post-madman consumer materialism that we, we live in, but it's, it's the subtraction stew that you see in Norton Juster's Phantom Tollbooth. Anybody remember that book as a kid? The Phantom Tollbooth, the subtraction stew? No one remembers that. It always sits in my mind. This whole thing where these kids together and then the more they eat the stew, the hungrier they get. That's what our world, our society is, is built on. For years, I mean with Mooch, I've been bugging him about an e-bike through his company. On and off for how many years, dude? Three years, yeah, yeah. And I haven't done it lately, right? Because I realized I just want to ride my bike. And I was like, just try riding the bike that you already purchased a few years ago, and it's great. I realized that was the answer. I just wanted to ride my bike a little bit. But I had the idea, if I had this thing, you just get these ideas in your mind. I was like, no, just try riding your bike, you know? And I was like, oh, this is fine. This is great. You did, you did. <laughs> so this is, yeah, we're good, we're good. But when the deal comes up, you make sure, no, no. Yeah, we, we probably need to get rid of our excess grain. And uh, yeah, that's something I want to ask everybody to take a moment. What is something that you're planning to purchase or planning to go or planning to do that can be used on something or someone else? Take that moment, and this is a hard conversation, but I'll let you have it. What is something that you are planning to do here, and I'll give you an example. Let me give you an example. Why not? I'll go there. Let's uh, kill some idols here. Catalina. Catalina. Let's just talk about it. Doesn't mean we're not going. Like, I'm going through the finances. Kind of, Catalina costs about the same as, maybe a little less, than Pastor Deb's yearly wages. That's what you got to think about. That's how much it costs to go to Catalina for all of us, the boat, the food, you know, and it's like, okay, but we value getting away, right? Why not go to Door Faith? I mean, yeah, you got to deal with the border, but you don't have to deal with the boat. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like why not? And, like, and then we invest those monies towards that orphanage and we build something together. There's like a great space there. Or why not just go beach camping for a weekend and just take that money and give it away or give it to benevolence or hire a nursery worker or something. You know, like, why not? Yeah, yeah amen to that one, right? <laughs> hire a nursery worker or a part-time youth pastor sacred cows. I'm not saying it, but I am accepting just like some thoughtfulness to the conversation. Yeah. Catalina, it's just something to do. So what is something you're planning that can be used on something or someone else? Just something to talk about. Have that conversation and just be free to verbally process and if you're an introvert, just to pause and not say anything if you want. Okay? Take a moment. Share with one another.
How are we doing? Good? All right. Last point. Last point. And uh, this, this outline's not rocket surgery. I get it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. Um, when it comes to moving, sorry, Teresa, did you get to go? You good? If you don't say it, you don't have to do it. You know what I mean? Play that principle. <laughs> Oh, yeah, what? But yeah, we. It's not rocket surgery here. Yeah, it's. Uh, so uh, I thought you'd like that, Greg. Yeah, how do we move from obligated giving to freely surrendered generosity? It, it's not rocket science, brain surgery. It, it's like identifying your, your guttural instinct and being honest. It's simplifying your life. And then the third point, it's like, there's no way to get around it. It's give. <laughs> you just give, be rich towards God. And I caveat it by being rich towards the poor. Be rich towards God by being rich towards the poor. And I think it's important uh, that we do this, that at any moment, at any point in our lives, our little kingdoms can be taken from us. At any point in our lives, our lives can be taken from us. At any point, we can support kingdom initiatives. We just can. And really the best way to shift um, our wealth from our world here to, to God's kingdom is to support those in need and I would say also to support what God's doing. Um, so yeah, it's, when we ask the question, how much do I need to give, rather it's how much I need to keep, we're thinking about living in glory today. Because that's the way it's going to be when we're with Jesus face to face. It's like 100% self-giving. And then when we give our lives, we actually find lives. When I, when I give myself to you and you give yourself to me, there's nothing really left I need to do for myself. I'm already given. There's nothing that can be taken from me. I'm already given. Jesus already gave everything to me. I'm already going to give myself to you. That's just the beauty of it. And, and I just want to repeat, the onus is on God. What's beautiful about this passage, this parable, is that Luke likes to incorporate teachings. And he incorporates some Sermon of the Mount additions. When people talk about the Sermon of the Mount, which is found in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it, it, it's not just one sermon, though I'm sure there wasn't a big sermon that he gave on that hillside. But it's probably a collection of a lot of teachings that Jesus did. And we see a portion of that teaching being done on this road home which is really cool. And Jesus said to his disciples, don't worry about your life. What you eat or about your body, whatever you wear. This is just in the following passages. Verse 22. If your life is more than food, your body is more than clothes, consider the birds, the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you to God than birds? I guess that's what God likes you more than birds. It's amazing. And then you see... Matthew 6.33 played in Luke 12.31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father's been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moss destroy. For where your treasure is, just like Carrie said, it's where your heart will be also. Be rich towards God by being rich towards the poor. Yeah, uh, some next steps for this conversation as I invite the, the, the fellas up is um, it's Lent, so consider fasting from some form of consumption. 
uh, and, and using that time and money elsewhere. That can be restaurants, coffee shops, dark chocolate, travel, paid subscriptions, social media. Why social media? Social media is run by the advertising machine, so it, it can just, you can find yourself buying stuff if you're on it. Maybe even fast from Amazon. Um, also, to discern your house, your household range. <laughs> um, and, and when you consider your household range, how will God via you support the poor, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the quartet of the vulnerable, according to God, that transcends both Old Testament and New Testament? Uh, discern how God will support the church, or little c, big c. And then it is important to, as Courtney was to think about how God wants to support you and your family and what do you all need and, and what don't you need. And then invite someone to church. How great would it be to have this conversation with all your friends? Wouldn't they love that? My buddies used to give me the hardest time. They're like, you're going to talk about money so you can buy more speakers and fog machines. <laughs> it's good to have friendships like that, dude. <laughs> yeah, welcome. All right, so let's pray, Lord. Thank you so much just for the Sturgis' bravery. Thank you, God, that, um, that though you were rich for our sake, you became poor so that we through your poverty might become rich. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, God. That you came as a man of sorrows, a peasant who didn't need much but had everything. Arms around shoulders, loving, speaking well to others, serving others, having fun. Um, yeah, Lord that you also were acquainted with uh, provision and, and joy. And there were times where you, you gave and you constantly gave and there were times where you did receive. So teach us what it means to do that as we receive your cross yet again, uh, your saving spirit, Lord. Help us to walk with one another in conversations like these and to be brave and say, hey, this is where I'm at. What do you think? And for us not to have any judgment. Help us suspend our judgments, Lord. I need this message as much as anybody, God. So Lord God, would you uh, help us to live uh, knowing that you're forming our character as we think not just about ourselves, but also think of others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.